looking at uh, the life of David, and in my notes here, I have Life of David Part 8. So we're, we've looked at eight messages on, uh, on David's life. And the first one we looked at was in 1 Samuel 16, when David was anointed the future king of Israel. You remember that story that Samuel was told to go to David's hometown and uh, to, to Jesse's family, and seven sons passed before Samuel, and God said, not him, not him, not him, not him. Uh, finally, uh, Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And he says, one, one more, the youngest, he's out watching the sheep, and Samuel says, get him, and David comes, and God says, that's the one. And he anoints David as the future king of Israel. David was just a teenager. David was probably 16, maybe 17 years old when, when he was anointed to be the future king of the nation of Israel. It wasn't until about 15 years later that he actually became the king of Israel, but God's hand was on him and in a special way. And so we began to look at David's journey, and it's been quite a journey. Uh, we looked at the, his experience with killing Goliath, uh, and then we've looked at the fact that uh, King Saul became very jealous of David. Uh, remember, the, the women of Israel began to sing, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. And Saul became intensely jealous of David, the next king of uh, uh, the Israel, and he became almost maniacal in trying to do away with David. We looked at chapters 17 and 18 where five times King Saul tries to kill David. Twice he takes his spear and throws it toward David and David ducks and saves his life. And so as we've looked at the life of David, David now is a man on the run. Um, he's, he's running from King Saul and King Saul and his men are, are searching for him. Uh, David has found a band of brothers that have kind of uh, been his small little army that's traveled with him. There's 600 men that are traveling with him, their wives and families. And so David has been on the run. And by the time we get to 1 Samuel chapter 28, where we're going to be this morning, David has been running from Saul for a decade. David's been on the run for 10 years. And I can only imagine that uh, after uh, being on the run, kind of as a fugitive for 10 years, that it's taken its toll on David physically, mentally, and emotionally. And as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 27, uh, we see that uh, David makes a decision, and it's not a very smart decision. And perhaps, uh, not making excuses here, but perhaps uh, David is just uh, physically, uh, mentally, emotionally tired. And uh, let's look at the decision that he makes. And uh, we've, uh, we've read it in our scripture reading this morning, but let's go back to it. Verse uh, 1, but David thought to himself. Um, now, this is interesting. How do we know David's thoughts? Well, the Spirit of God's recorded it for us. Uh, just, just a little sidelight here. Isn't it interesting to think about the fact that the Scripture tells us that God knows what we're thinking? Psalm 139, that, that uh, well-known psalm, 
the psalmist David writes, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar off. That's a little bit of a scary thought, but God knows our thought life because he's omniscient. And several times in the New Testament we read uh, where Jesus is uh, uh, walking with some people and it says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them. And so uh, here we know, here we have insight into what David is thinking. And here's what David is thinking. He says to himself or thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David's been on the run for 10 years from King Saul, and finally he says, you know what, I'm going into enemy territory because Saul will not go into enemy territory to to look for me. And and David is is thinking this in his mind. Uh, David is... Uh, what we doing, uh, would describe as doing self-talk. Um, the other, those, those thoughts that go, on, go in our head. But David's self-talk is not what God wants him to do. The scripture says, we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. And uh, oftentimes we have these thoughts in our, our minds, um, the self-talk that goes on. If uh, If God really loved me, he wouldn't allow this to happen in my life. Or uh, maybe self-talk that says, well, just this once and it, it won't hurt. Or self-talk that says, well, nobody will really find out. Or self-talk, self-talk that says, well, God wants me to be happy. Well, here's David, and he's, he's thinking to himself uh, of a decision that he makes But David is making this decision not based on faith, because God doesn't want him in enemy territory. He's making that decision based on fear. And and David is pessimistic in his thinking. He's like, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. So he's already got himself convinced that one of these days Saul's going to catch up to him and kill him. And so David says, I'm going into Philistine territory. Here's, uh, here's the rest of uh, the, the passage here that we've uh, been reading. Uh, so David and the 600 men with him go a- into Philistine territory, and we just read these verses. They settle in Gath. Now, that should ring a little bell in our minds. Where was Goliath from? <laughs> Goliath was from Gath. He's back in the hometown of, of, of the, the champion of the Philistines that he took down years ago. And so here David makes this decision, and he finds himself in Gath. And he's there with uh, his two wives. By the way, just because the Bible records something that happens doesn't mean it approves it. The Bible doesn't approve of that. Uh, But he's there with his two wives, and he's there with his 600 band of men and their wives and their families. And they settle in Philistine territory. And that seems to be a wise decision for a while. Verse 4, when Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. And so David's probably thinking, that was a smart decision. But as we'll see, it wasn't. And next we, we see in the outline here, David's destructive raids. David's destructive raids. 
Uh, verse 5, then David said to Achish, the king of Gath, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? David wants to live in the country. Kind of out where we live, right? I, I, I don't know. Um, I enjoy country living. I enjoy uh, the rural area. Uh, some people like high rises and cities and... and um, all that, but uh, David's basically saying, hey, I want, I want to live out in the country, but I want you to notice what he calls himself in verse 5 when he's talking to the king, King Achish. He calls him, uh, himself to Achish, I am your servant. The future king of Israel now identifies himself as the servant of Achish, king of Gath. And this has taken David down a wrong path a major compromise in his life to to want to serve the enemy which the philistines were and so it says in verse six so on that day achish gave him ziklag and it has belonged to the kings of judah ever since david lived in philistine territory a year and four months so this was not just a short-term stay he's there for 16 months now what's david doing verse eight now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these people lived in the land extending to Shur and Egypt. So, so David and his men are, are raiding other uh, peoples, other nations. And it says, whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. And so David and his band of men are, are going and uh, raiding other people, destroying other people, and then coming back with the goods. Can you imagine um, David's killed thousands? David's killed ten thousands of people at this, by this point in his life. I mean, he's, he, is a, he is a fighter. He is a warrior. But as we're going to see, um, David's decision and his destructive raids lead him on this spiral path downward to David's deceit. David's deceit. He's trying to prove himself loyal to the king of, uh, of Gath, Achish. And so uh, let's look at David's deceit here. It says in verse 10, when Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? So Achish wants to know from David, you know, give, give me a report. David would say against the Negev of Judah, Negev means south, he's, that word means south of Judah, against the Negev of Jerahmil, against the Negev of the Canaanites. Uh, verse 11 um, in, in other words, let me just paraphrase verse 10. David is saying, I was fighting in the southern part of Judah. Now, Judah is, is a part of the Israelite territory. It's part of God's people. And so he's telling the king, I've been fighting in the south of Judah, when in reality, he hasn't. It says that he did not leave a man or a woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought, they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. He destroyed everybody because he didn't want anybody uh, saying to the, the king of Achish, this is where David's been. 
And so David's trying to cover his tracks by totally destroying everyone. And David is flat out lying now, deceiving the king and trying to prove his loyalty to him. And so David's deceit. Uh, verse 12 um, says, Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. And so King Achish believes the lie, and he believes that David now has, has turned against the Israelites and has proven his loyalty to King Achish by killing those in the southern part of Judah. But now David's between a rock and a hard place. Uh, let's j- jump into just the next couple of verses in verse um, verses 1 and 2 from 1 Samuel 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Uh-oh. Achish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. All right, we're, we're going against Israel now. And Achish says, David, you and your 600 men are going to fight with us, Philistines, against the Israelites. What does David say? Um, Complete betrayal here. David said, Then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. And Achish replied, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. And so Achish says to David, Hey, um, you're going to be my right-hand man here. And when we go into battle, you're going to be right there with me. Now, this would have put a David in a, in a very difficult predicament, and uh, here's what traditionally bodyguards would do. Um, if the Philistines win the battle against Israel, it will be the king's bodyguard duty to kill the defeated king, King Saul, <laughs> something that David has refused to do, uh, as we studied in earlier in 1 Samuel, uh, once in the cave and once when uh, King Saul was in a deep sleep, David was right there and his men were saying, take him out. God's brought him into, you know, right here for you to take care of. And David says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And so now David, uh, in this spiraling downward of deceit and lies and betrayal, has found himself in a very, very difficult predicament. Well, the rest of the story, and we won't take time to look at it in 1 Samuel chapter 29, is that while King Achish completely trusted David to go into battle with him, the rest of the Philistine army didn't. And they're on their way to to battle against Israel, and the Philistine army is saying, hey, who are these guys here? (laughs) Isn't this this David, the one who took out Goliath? And uh, ultimately, um, they don't go into battle with him because the Philistine army doesn't, doesn't trust him and uh, kind of gets David out of his predicament. But that's, that's 1 Samuel chapter 27. Now, now David, out of desperation of, of running from King Saul for 10 years, goes into enemy territory and it leads him down a very, very difficult uh, spiral downward with the choices that he had made. Well, this morning we want to think about uh, four life lessons from 1 Samuel chapter 27 as we uh, think about some things that we can learn from David's life and that we can learn from the good in David's life and we can learn from his mistakes as well. So let's look at these four life lessons. Here is uh, 
lesson number one. Uh, the renewing of our minds is key to living the Christian life. The renewing of our thoughts and our minds is key to living the victorious Christian life. Here, here's David, and where does he begin to go down a wrong path when he, he's just thinking to himself, he's doing this self-talk, which is um, not God's will for him. It's humanistic thinking. It's pessimistic thinking. He says, yep, surely someday Saul's going to kill me, so I need to, to make this choice. Um, and as we go all through Scripture, we discover that the mind is important. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment in the Gospel of Matthew? Here's what Jesus said. Here's the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, Jesus said. So our thought life, desperately, vitally important. Long ago, Dr. Tim LaHaye wrote a book entitled The Battle for the Mind. And that's really where the battle takes place um, in, in the Christian life and in our world today and in our lives and in the lives of our kids and our grandkids. It is a battle for truth. It is a battle for the mind. Uh, in, the, in Genesis chapter 3, when Satan came and he began to tempt Eve, uh, he began to t- tempt her with um, her mind and her thought life. And it says that the servant serpent came to Eve and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so the uh, Satan goes on to say, Well, you, you can eat from the tree and, and um, you will certainly not die. What did he get Eve to do? He got Eve to believe a lie. And that's uh, the strategy of, uh, of the enemy today. Um, to get us to believe the lies, the lies of our culture, the lives that are in our world today. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, Romans chapter 12, that very um, key verse where Paul's writing to the Roman uh, church, the Roman believers, here it is. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The Phillips translation says, don't allow the world to squeeze you into their mold. But what's the the next uh, command? But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And so our thought life is desperately important, vitally important. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote a, a poem uh, perhaps you've heard it. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Where does it all start? It starts in our thought life. And so Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes that letter from prison. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And so uh, the Apostle Paul is saying uh, what we allow into our minds, what we allow in through the eye gate and through our ears, our thought life is desperately important. 
And we need to guard our hearts. We need to saturate our hearts and minds with what God's truth. Uh, Psalm 1. How blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates, what, day and night. And the psalmist is saying, we need to fill our minds and our hearts and our lives with God's truth. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, we need to take captive every thought obedient to Christ. And so that's the first thought. Where did, where did David begin to go astray? It began when he began to think some, uh, some wrong thoughts, and that's the way that, that Satan, Satan works in our life. Uh, he begins to get us to think um, thoughts that aren't true, and he begins to erode our lives by that. Well, here's the second lesson. Uh, number two, we must make decisions based on the faith, not on our feelings. I think this was part of David's wrong decision. He, he's been on the run for 10 years. He's been a fugitive. He's, he's physically, emotionally, mentally exhausted, and that's a dangerous place to be. Because when we're feeling that way, oftentimes we're not thinking right either. And sometimes we're making decisions based on our feelings, and our feelings are not necessarily good indicators or good guides to decision-making. Um, if we live our lives based on our feelings and make decisions based on our feelings, we're going to be find ourselves in, in trouble right away, aren't we? Um, if you only get up and go to work every day when you feel like it, you're probably not going to be employed for very long. We, we can't make decisions based on our feelings, but we need to make decisions based on faith. And this is where, again, David is, is uh, going off the path here. Uh, David is making a, a decision um, based, on, based on fear because he has himself convinced that someday Saul is going to kill him unless he goes into enemy territory. David is focused on his circumstances, not on God. Easy to do, isn't it? Easy to, when problems come and difficulties come, when crisis comes, it's so easy just to focus on the crisis and not focus on, on God and his, his truth and his promises. But what should David have known? David should have known that 10 years earlier, God had anointed him to be the next king. And King Saul, actually in the end of the previous chapter, um, Saul says to David, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. At, at some point, King Saul even realized that David was going to be the next king. And Jonathan, Saul's son, affirmed that David was going to be the next king. That was the promise of God in his life. And so Saul wasn't going to kill him because God had promised to David, you are going to be the next king of Israel. So David loses perspective, and he begins to make a decision based on fear. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And, and that's where our, our, our faith needs to be. And David is making the decision based on his feelings, not on his faith. I love Isaiah chapter 40. 
uh, where the prophet Isaiah is writing about the greatness of God. And let me just read a couple verses from Isaiah 40. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Isaiah is saying that, that Israel's thinking, God, you've forgotten me. God, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm experiencing. Why is my way hidden from you? Why have you disregarded me? Do you ever feel like that? God doesn't know what's going on in your life. God doesn't seem to be doing anything. And then the psalmist reminds us, don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, Um, The word their hope is not this wishful thinking hope. The the word their hope is those who have their confident trust in him. Those who put their hope in God. Um, If you're a Jeopardy fan, and and Diane and I like to watch uh, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, I guess we're officially old. We tape it and like to to watch it. And about a year ago, there was a a fellow by the name of James Hall. Holzheiser. He was from Las Vegas, and he became the Jeopardy champion for like weeks and weeks and weeks and uh, won an incredible amount of money. But every time he would hit the, the daily double, his strategy, and he had this little um, move that he made, uh, when he had his money, he's going to bet it, and he goes, I'm all in. You know, and he'd, he'd like be pushing the poker chips on, on, is it okay to give an illustration of poker chips on Sunday? Hopefully it is. Hopefully it is. All the poker chips are on the table. He's like, I am all in. And, and, and that's what this verse is saying. This word is saying, those who are, are all in with God. Uh, I don't have a plan B. I don't have a backup. God, my faith and trust is in you. Those who put their hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Why? Because they're standing and living their lives on the promises of God. Not their feelings. Uh, the promise of God's presence. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Uh, the promise of peace with God. My, uh, I'm looking forward to crossing Jordan's stormy banks and going on to the, the land of Canaan, the promised land someday, heaven, because I put my faith in you. The promise of the peace of God that even though when we're in crisis and uh, we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. The promise of God's provision uh, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all of your needs. The promise that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Jeremiah 29.11, I know they have the plans for you, plans to prosper you and give you hope in a future. And so we can't make decisions based on faith or based on feelings, but rather uh, we need to make decisions based on faith and the promises of God. Number two, two more real quickly here, and then we'll we'll be done. Life lesson number three is this. Our choices in life impact the lives of others. That the choices that we each make not only impact our lives, but they impact, they have a ripple effect, they impact the lives of others. It was John Doan who wrote the poem, No Man is an Island. And um, every choice we make 
uh, almost every choice we make not only impacts us, but it has a ripple effect. That was true in David's life. David makes a choice to go into enemy territory, go into the Philistines, and he's not only influencing him, but he's taking with him 600 of his men, uh, their wives and their families, easily two or 3,000 people that, that he's impacting with that choice. Our choices and decisions in life have an impact on the lives of others. The choices we make impact our, our spouse if we're married. We make choices that impact our, our children's lives and our, our grandchildren's lives, our extended family. We make choices that impact our church to come and worship on Sunday or not to worship on Sunday. We make choices that impact our community. Our choices have a, a ripple effect And it's like throwing that rock into the middle of that calm pond and it goes into the center of the pond and then these concentric circles of uh, ripple effect ripple out from there. And so uh, we need to realize that our choices in life have consequences and impact, not just us, but others. And that's why um, God's word is so clear about seeking wisdom uh, when we make our choices. James 1.5, does anybody lack wisdom? <laughs> That's kind of a rhetorical question. We all do. Let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally, generously. So we need to ask God for wisdom. See, that was David's mistake. If, if you read through the, some of the early chapters of 1 Samuel, it says several times, David inquired of the God, should I do this or should I do this? David, again, later on uh, in the book, David inquired of God. Now we come to 1 Samuel 27, and David's not inquiring of God. He's, he's thinking for himself, uh, pessimistic, humanistic thoughts. Uh, we need God's guidance and wisdom. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And um, our choices in life impact the lives of others. Lastly, this morning, then we'll conclude. Number four, life lesson number four is this. Wrong choices, wrong decisions put us on a slippery downward spiral. That was what happened in David's life. He makes this choice to go into enemy territory, and then all of a sudden he begins to make some other compromises, and he calls himself the servant of Achish, the king of Gath, and then he finds himself... Um, in a predicament and having to, to be deceitful and to lie and to say, yes, he really is raiding the, the Israelites, that he's loyal to, to King Achish. And then he finds himself in a horrible predicament of having to join the Philistine army and, and fight against the Israelites. And David's choices put him on this downward spiral. And we'll see that later in life with King David and his sin with Bathsheba. And then he has to begin to lie, and then he has to begin to cover up, and then he begins to have a a plot to have uh, uh, Bathsheba's husband Uriah uh, put out into the front line of battle and and basically commits commits murder, and, and David's just on this downward spiral. And it all starts with one wrong choice. And so wrong choices put us on a slippery 
downward spiral. And the biblical solution is confession and repentance. That immediately when we make that wrong choice, when we recognize that what we're, uh, our, our thoughts are wrong or our actions are wrong, there's some great verses in the Bible, aren't there, about confession? First uh, John 1 9, if we confess our sins, homo legeo means to agree with God. He's faithful in just what? To forgive us our sins and to, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession and repentance are the answer. And that's where David needs to be. Thankfully, later on in his life with his sin with Bathsheba, he got there, didn't he? Psalm 32, he writes that psalm. In Psalm 51, uh, finally, after a, a year after, after his um, sin with Bathsheba, finally God sends the prophet to him and he confronts David and David finally comes clean, but not after some severe consequences not af- not until after uh, Uriah is dead and the baby that was conceived has died. And there's some horrific consequences to David's choices. But he finds that forgiveness. And so wrong choices put us on a spiral downward. But God's answer is confession and repentance. So how about you this morning as we think about these four life lessons? How you do it on mind renewal? Uh, how much how much time during the week are you spending in God's Word? Or a Sunday morning come and you're like, "Where's my Bible?" <laughs> oh man, we need to be in this book on a daily basis. What decision are you facing this morning where you need God's guidance? Um, don't go at it alone. Um, seek God's wisdom, seek God's truth, seek God's principles, if, if need be. Uh, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. I would add godly counselors. And so if you're facing a, a crisis or a major decision, um, make sure you're seeking God's wisdom and God's guidance, like David did earlier in First Samuel. Inquire of God what direction, what decision that you need to make. And then thirdly, and perhaps lastly, is there a sin that I need to confess? Is there something that I'm doing right now, two categories of sins, there's sins of commission, doing what we know we should not be doing. Is there something that I'm doing right now that I need to stop doing? Or on the flip side of it, there's sins of omission. James 4.17 says, To the person who knows the good they ought to do and they aren't doing it, to him it is sin. And so the flip side of the coin is, are there some things in my life that I know I should be doing that I'm not doing? It's earlier in, in I think, in the book of Samuel that David's confessing a sin and I believe it's David and you know what his sin he's confessing is prayerlessness. God forgive me because I'm not I'm not I know I need to pray. The Bible commands us to pray and I'm not. And so is there a, a sin that we need to confess? Lastly, 
is there a promise that I need to claim? Uh, maybe I'm living my life more on the on the fear-based side, not the faith-based side, and and perhaps there's a there's a promise. And we talked about some of them just a little bit ago: the promise of God's peace, His presence, His power in our life. Um, do I need to claim a promise? Well, I hope those are four helpful life lessons as we uh, face um, life challenges for us today. Um, may we renew our minds. May we make decisions based on faith, not our feelings. May we understand the impact of our decisions. And may we um, seek God's guidance to say, maybe there's something in my life that I need to confess, or maybe there's something I need to start doing. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, our culture and our world is bombarding us with uh, principles, um, with um, lies. Uh, Lord, the evil one is, is, is busy uh, attacking our minds. And so, Lord, would you help us to guard our hearts and guard our minds? Would you help us to live in Romans 12, 2, that says we need, need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds Lord, perhaps many of us started this year with good intentions to be um, in your word and to be having a a quiet time each day. And Lord, the the busyness of life has taken us away from that. Lord, help us to be um, spending time with you day by day. Lord, help us to make decisions not based on our feelings, but based on uh, faith. The just shall live by faith and on your promises. And Lord, in Uh, the quietness of the close of this service. Lord, may your spirit search our hearts and our minds. And Lord, if you point out something to us that maybe we need to stop doing or maybe we need to start doing, Lord, help us to have the courage to uh, confess that to you. Lord, thank you that the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And Lord, may we have that new beginning today. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.